to another edition of Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Don't you know things can change? Things will go your way if you hold on for one more day. Can you hold on for one more day? Things will go your way. Hold Hold on on for for one one more day. day. In Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 91, which begins with Iron Bar trying to wrestle Master away from the Waiting Ones. And it ends with Max finding Pig Killer in a rather sticky situation. Joining us this week are our friends and impromptu Wilson Phillips cover band, Karen and Liz. Hello. Hey. Good to have you back. We had you both on, including Caitlin. Caitlin went off to a concert or something like that, so she's not with us here. So she's dead to us. She's She's dead to us. (laughs) It's fine. We can have fun without her. It's 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 okay. But we had you on for Road Warrior, so we brought you back for Thunderdome. Yay. Yes. For just arguably one of the most athletic minutes of the movie to start this week. This is true. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. It starts off with a nice pulling match, and then we go from pulling people to pulling up, mm-hmm. I guess. Something yes. I'm not really very good at, but, you know, that's beside the point. Nope, my abs hurt just looking at it. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it was, it was an impressive feat of athleticism, for mm. certain. But before we start worrying about all of that stuff... We start with Ironbar clinging to, I'd say, the side of the steam train, but he's more just clinging on to Master. And Master is being clung on to by the Waiting Ones, and it's just this really awkward human tug of war. It really puts a picture to the problem of this last portion of the movie, where Master just becomes an object that people are fighting over. He's been grabbed back and forth. He's in the middle of a tug of war. And... It's a huge disservice to Master as a character. Not that I'm defending him. He is not a good person, but he still doesn't deserve to be treated like an object. To be turned into a literal MacGuffin? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he had a pretty big part earlier in the movie. He had his time to shine. He did some awful things. And now here we are at the end where, yeah, he's just a playing piece. We talked about it. Back when Auntie picked him up and Max snatched him, held him like a football, and then jumped between the train cars. I have to agree with you that I'm still not drumming up any sympathy. (laughs) I have more sympathy for the actor than the character. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The Maltese master that he has then become. (laughs) I mean, this is... It's something that occurs to me, like, you know, like, occurs to me throughout the movie is... Like, just imagining being a little person in Hollywood is like, this is what you can get. Like, you know, your best your best movie that you can you can land a gig in in the 80s is what? Willow, probably. Because that was probably the most human characters that you can you can get to play. And then here comes, you know, Master Blaster. And, you know, you at least get to play an interesting character with power and operatic levels of just ridiculous badness. But at the same time, then people are just going to feel that much more like it's going to be that much easier to for people to laugh at and hate you it's just i have such a complicated relationship with master as a result (laughs) so this might be taking things way out of left field but i study biology and so i look at master's situation in this as a perfect example of evolution and how evolution can do you wrong like the average person thinks that evolution is going to be it's survival of the fittest but it's really survival of like the C student who's just eking by in that one particular environment. And Master (laughs) had all of this power in this one very specific environment under one set of circumstances. And the moment you remove those circumstances, and now he's kind of along for the ride, like stripping him from that environment has just removed all of his agency. And so that's what I spent a lot of time thinking of watching, watching him become this thing that people are like dragging over is like, Oh, this would be Darwin's finches if suddenly that particular species of, like, nut was gone. Huh. That's because he's the urban overlord, so his native environment is the city. Mm-hmm. And now he's out on the road. Like, it's just like it's desert in cars. Like, he's just not made for that place. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> Mentioning that he functions very well in an urban environment, and now that he's out in the country with the, the desert in cars, it made me think of a car that would be appropriately sized to master. Mm. And I can just think of some sort of like tricked out 
Mad Max wasteland buggy, but like shrunk down Mm -hmm. to master size. And I'm kind of delighted by it. Just the idea. You get this barren outback wasteland. You hear this roaring engine and then it rolls by this like little tykes looking thing. Just bebopping along the underbrush. And I was like, oh, look at that. He's looking for gasoline. I mean, knowing his style, he'd probably, you know, he'd probably have a disproportionately large car overall. He'd just be sitting on top of it in his his own little seat. Oh, but then he could eject, like, the saucer section. Yeah. If something happens to, like, the big (laughs) car, then the little car would have its own sort of... Suddenly, like, he just, he pops off like the Jetsons and... No, I, I like it. He could get the really big wheels. You remember those remote control cars that I'm pretty sure they still sell where the wheels are gigantic and the chassis is really thin? Yep. And it doesn't matter which direction the car is going if it get fl- gets it flipped flips. over. Yeah. You get really big tires and just have a little skinny little chassis master sized and it doesn't matter if he gets flipped over. He'll just keep on driving. Oh god, and it can be like gyroscopic in the middle so that his seat will right itself. I want these cars that we're designing right now. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty great. Not to mention, think of just how much more of an advantage he has in a fight with his center of gravity. Like, oh, okay, I know we need these. We need these. <sighs> Sorry, I <laughs> I got the image of Master in a fight and just how much of a disadvantage he'd be if he didn't have some sort of like crossbow or something like that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of his whole deal with the Master Blaster relationship. Right. So, yeah. He'd need to use his engineering smarts to craft something to give him an upper hand. Speaking of upper hand, Ironbar is reaching up with his hands on Master. Another classic clunky Uh, Rick transition. Nice segue. (laughs) I mentioned something in last week's episodes that I feel that Ironbar is kind of like a dog chasing his tail. He is ravenously pursuing Master, but he doesn't really have an apparent exit strategy that I can see. Once he gets his hands on Master, what then? Because he's still clinging to the side of a train. <laughs> yes, this is true. He's, he's a, what is it, a dog chasing... That's the ice cream truck. Yeah. yeah. Like, is once it catches the truck, well, what are, what are you, what are you going to do? What What's your escape plan, dude? Truck, go fast. <laughs> <laughs> Get truck. Get truck. Hi there. It's just the, went into, like, a Doug mentality in there. <laughs> <laughs> It speaks to his, like, single-minded drive. It's almost, yeah. you know, he he didn't even in other parts of the movie. He Well, no, he, he was doing some of his own stuff before, but he really is just, like, mission-driven. Hmm. I feel like earlier instances in this movie of Ironbark doing things, mm-hmm. he always seemed to be operating from a position of some forethought. Like, for instance, during the ambush scene when Max first met Auntie, Iron Bar had all of his guards around him. He was super ready to sneak up on Max. The only reason that Max got the drop on him is because he's Max and he's uncannily lucky. Iron Bar operated on his own to kill Blaster. He was running Underworld using torture techniques to get the job done. He seemed to have a good head on his shoulders and then another head mounted on a bar behind those shoulders. <laughs> Here, it's just like... All of those smart decisions, and I don't, I don't even necessarily want to say they were super smart decisions, but all of those actions earlier in the movie that showed us that he had some cleverness, now it's just a myopic, crazed pursuit. <laughs> so do we think it's something akin to like an Ahab, like white whale, mm. and that he's in some sort of grieving status? Because I mean, the whole movie, like up until that point... He was, to go back to the dog metaphor, like a dog on a chain, right? Mm. He was never going to go farther than Auntie was going to let him. And now that he's literally off the chain, does it just that he's not planning well? Did he just narratively get handed like the stupid ball? Or do we think that there's the sort of, this is the guy who ruined it all, if I can get him back? Because he was doing pretty Mm. well for himself, you know, before. A few minutes ago, we were talking about Master, how the environment that he runs in optimally Mm -hmm. is urban. I think the same is true for Ironbar. He runs best Mm. when he is in that environment, closely controlled by Auntie. He has his guards around him. He has a defined area of power and defined responsibilities. And just like Master, now they're out in the wild where he has no supervision. He has this mission that's incredibly vague. So now he's running on his own wits out of his element. I think it might also be the fact that Master is, you could say, Iron Bar's meal ticket because Master has the 
engineering skill and the smarts to keep Underworld running. He will be integral to the rebuilding of Bartertown if they can get this thing back. So Ironbar understands that in order for him to stay in the cushy position that he was given following Blaster's death of Lord of Underworld or whatever, he needs to get back his tech guy. So I think he's crazed because he's off his leash. I think he's crazed because he's like, oh no, this is the guy that lets me have the nice apartment. If I let him go, I lose my cushy status. I mean, he's going to lose a lot more by the end of the movie, but that's besides mm-hmm. the point. But that's why I think he's just completely wide-eyed crazy man in this instance. Yeah, especially since if we consider the environment now, you know, I only know so much about Australia because it always holds this position of awe and fear in my mind of either being on fire or trying to kill you depending on where you are in the country so one thing i'm aware of the outback is that newcomers are laughed at for kind of underestimating how dangerous it can be for you to get out there because there are long stretches of just dry barren country that's just not kind so like thinking about it in in that perspective if he lets master go if master slips through his fingers that's it like they're like it's very likely that he's not going to get him back ever. So at that point, even if it's not the smartest thing to do, even if there's no exit strategy immediately in sight, if he stops to think it through, there's nothing. It's just like, I can stop and think and try and come up with a plan, or I can just try and get him right now and then figure it out from there, because (laughs) then at least I'll have him, which is the most important thing. It's one of those three-step plans where it's step one, chase master, (laughs) step two, question mark, step three, profit. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think it's quite possible there are no smart decisions to be made. Mm. He is between a rock and a hard place. He's between a steam engine and a desert. And there is no way out of this that's going to be successful for him. Yeah. So we might as well just go for it. Because he's going to be dead anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, this is definitely one of those with your shield or on it. Yeah. Sorts of scenarios, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Try to imagine him like running back to Bartertown without Master and just being like, Oh, that's, yeah, about that. That's not, that's not going to go well for you. You could also consider it symbolically. The wasteland brings out the beasts in all of us. Oh. As it were. I like it. That's all I got. <laughs> I think one of the big things that contributes commonly to Iron Bar's different failures that we've seen so far in this movie is that he gets so hyper-focused on one thing that he sort of gets blinders. Mm. And so when people swing in from the side with sometimes a literal swing and a literal boot to the head, as Max does, it catches Iron Bar completely off balance. And as we see in this minute, Max's boot connects with Iron Bar's face and his grip falls to another pipe and that pipe happens to be on a hinge and suddenly we're at the <laughs> Wasteland Olympics. Yeah, no, this is not okay. This That particular motion just brought back <laughs> all of 7th, 8th, and high schools, like, the presidential fitness tests. I realized, like, dudes had to do pull-ups. For, for people unaware of this, there was an initiative in the 80s to make American uh, children healthier Yeah, by making them shame themselves in front of their classmates. It was a lot yeah. of peer pressure going on. But boys had to do pull-ups, and girls had to do what was called the flex arm hang. So the moment That's I what it see, was called. That's yeah, right. the moment I see Iron Bar, and I'm like, nope, there we are. It's gym class. I'm I'm in the seventh grade. I'm wearing a training bra. Everything is terrible. I do not like <laughs> any of this. This is just. It was so traumatic. And then, oh yeah, no, that that whole you, scene just did not work for me. Do you like, remember what you were able to accomplish in the flex arm hang? Yeah, I got past five, and I was so shocked. I got past five. I let go. Amazing. Oh, I was terrible at it. Do you, do you want to know how far I got? I, I would love to. I would get up there and be like, all right, as soon as you're up there, we're going to start the clock. Ready? Go. And I'd go up, and then I'd go right down. And they'd be like, well, <laughs> all right, go do sit-ups. Got it. Now, yep. Just to clarify, mm-hmm. when you say you got five, I'm assuming that you that was hung fun. on the bar, flexed your arms, and then hung there for five seconds. You five hold seconds, yourself yeah. above the bar. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They would even yeah. go so far as to you would climb up because it was one of those pull-up cages where it was like a ladder that was pinned to the wall and then they would curve up like a candy cane. Uh-huh. So you could climb up and I don't remember if it was like the Wait, hard what? way or the easy way. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking no, about. No, have you never seen these? No. Oh yeah, so like imagine against the wall and yeah. there's like a ladder that's affixed to the wall but like okay. far enough away where you can get your fingers around it. Mm. We had those. Okay, okay. Yes. And then the pull-up bar actually curved out so you would like uh. you could like get a little bit of a and then 
pull up. So you climb up on the little ladder. Oh, and pull yeah. Up. Okay. okay, yeah, we had that too. Okay, okay. So they would get a boost up, and then they would get you into position, and then they would oh, say, "All right, ready." And and I'd be like one two three four. Holy crap! I made it to five, and then like Drop. my hands, like I was, it was almost like I was trying to show them five <laughs> with both of my hands, and then I let go, and I was like, "Yep, Karen is never going to the Olympics." <laughs> I didn't even get a boost up because I was the tallest girl. So just like, just get yourself up there, okay? Yeah, I don't remember doing that. So you've blocked it out. I think so. <laughs> I remember touching my toes. Which I couldn't do. Oh my god, no. I hit my growth spurts in those years. Seven inches in two years. Yeah. Yeah, I could not reach my toes. I still can't reach my toes. Oh no. (laughs) I've gotten better. And then we had to run a mile. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I walked a mile. I had no problem walking a mile. We would have been walking buddies. Yeah. Whereas Iron Bar very clearly has a workout (laughs) regime that he sticks to way more than I did in the mid-80s. I was going to say, we haven't heard about how Rick did in the presidential fitness test. Oh, yeah. How did you do in the presidential fitness test? Oh, by the time I was in elementary school, I think they had gone away from that. What? They had given up on the youth. Yeah. (laughs) By the 90s. You know, we had the rope climb and the mile run and cargo net. So I could never do the rope climb because I guess my grip strength wasn't strong enough and I had skinny arms and a hefty torso, which I still do. Mm. Cargo net I could do. Because I could climb it like a ladder. Oh, I didn't have to do the cargo net, thank God. We didn't have to do the rope either. I th- I think we did ropes, like, we did rope stuff. No. Um, <laughs> I think we did rope challenges maybe in great, like, in elementary school for me. There was the thing that always kind of got me about all of these tests is they never gave you any way, like, I'm going to go on a tiny bit of a rant. You I'm you ready. expect like kids to be able to do a thing that you have not given them ample opportunity to train for. Here, right. we have never run a mile at all, run mm, a mile. Yeah. Whereas like I've done couch to 5k several times. I've run 5k's. I'm like, "Oh, wait, endurance training? No, 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 no. You don't want the chubby geeky kids to have endurance, I guess, because it means we'd be harder to pick on. I don't know. There's a conspiracy. <laughs> but What always bothered me is the fact that they have these ropes and these cargo nets strung up from the ceiling of the gymnasium, which is a good 25, 30 feet high. Mm. And for safety, they give you, if your school has money, two, maybe three inch wide mats. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Thick, not wide. It's like, they, <laughs> it's like high diving into matches. a paper cup. Yeah. <laughs> no. But very thin. And yeah. the floor wasn't always concrete, but it was usually tile oh, or wood. God. Yeah, and over yeah, concrete. Over yeah. concrete. Over concrete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although we had a rubber gym in my in my high school. What? Oh yeah, it was great. The only thing we ever really used it for was like we would bounce quarters off the floor. Amazing. Did you um, rent time from the sanitarium or something like that? I will neither confirm nor deny the location of my high school. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> room's made of rubber. It just mm-hmm. makes me think of a loony bin. Yeah. Well, you, you've been to my high school then. That's amazing. <laughs> Gym class. I'm trying to think there's a Calvin and Hobbes sketch where Calvin refers to it's like state-sponsored studies in contemporary terrorism, I believe is what he calls gym class. <laughs> Oh, that had a different meaning back when it was really first drawn. It, it yeah, kind of really. did, right? The pre-9-11 world. Uh, the yeah. innocent times of just self-loathing at the pull-up bar. Mm-hmm. Well, at least when we were in gym class, the pull-up bar was just a piece of wood or metal or something like that. Here, mm. the implication is that the bar that Iron Bar is holding on to is extremely hot because yeah. there is white smoke oh, streaming out of a little opening here. Fun fact about this movie that I learned about the behind the scenes here is oh, they no. didn't want to burn Iron Bar Basie's Good. hands with hot steam. How kind of them. So they thought, well, okay, we don't want to burn him. Let's just use the smoke from dry ice or liquid nitrogen or something like what? that. So that smoke is not super hot. It's super cold. What? So when he pulls his hand away and shakes it and goes back to grab on, it's because the smoke is extremely cold. Okay, we have just gone from this being traumatic to me for junior high gym reasons to traumatic for me for... Oh my gosh. Have you ever had liquid nitrogen applied to your hands? Nope. It's excruciating. I've endeavored What do they do in the bio classes? Oh my God. God. Yeah, no. Oh my goodness. Someone just give Iron Bar a gold medal. Just already. 
how did he uh how did he fare in that filming oh he survived well, i mean, he, I mean I would, well yeah. yes but <laughs> it wasn't comfortable but oh. they got the shots and that's the important that's thing. the important bit yeah. that's the art of it that's the aspect of film acting that i just i'm gonna stick to local theater productions oh Thank please like theater much. doesn't doesn't put your life at risk occasionally okay i only had to do a body dive once after like a kidney infection it was fine Mm. My high school drama teacher got stabbed with a lance Whoa. on stage once. And he was supposed to do that thing where you grab the end of the prop weapon and you pull it to the side and send it around yourself. Yes. Well, the actor he was playing against, I guess, was moving too quickly or he was moving too slowly. And so he grabbed the end of the prop, oh, went no. to move it to the side, but he didn't move it far enough. And it actually went into... <gasps> his side and so he's standing there on stage with a lance in his gut i mean granted it was off to the side so it wasn't like it was hitting anything super important but it was still in flesh and he's bleeding on stage and he's supposed to give a death monologue (laughs) (laughs) so did he to hear him tell it he did not successfully deliver the entire monologue and his director was very upset with him until the director learned just how bad he was hurt Was this during an actual performance? Yeah. Like an actual audience in the room performance. Wow. I mean, it's also kind of badass, though. Which is why. But also terrifying. Which is why a lot of times. 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 Which is why and speaking of rough, it's equally rough for Iron Bar <laughs> nice. to be holding on to <laughs> this pipe that has swung out. And luckily for him, I say luckily for him. It's <laughs> that's optimistic. That's optimistic. One of the Barter Town Wastelanders that has pursued this vehicle out is on a motorcycle with a sidecar. And so this guy thinks, oh, this is great. I'll just catch iron bar he can drop off the pipe and will drive away and so this wastelander is struggling to catch up because in australia they put the sidecars of motorcycles on the left side because that's how roads are of course if he was driving a motorcycle with an american style sidecar it would have been on the right side and he would have been able to get really close to the train Mm. without having the sidecar kick him off because what the sidecar is doing is it's going up the embankment it's making the whole motorcycle tip and because the motorcycle is tipping the motorcycle wants to veer off to the right so this guy is constantly trying to correct his direction he's constantly being kicked up and out of the way that's why he's having so much trouble handling all of this i hadn't considered the physics do you think a professional motorcycle rider would have been able to do this in a more skilled way there's a trick that you can do when you have a sidecar and it involves tilting the body of the motorcycle to the side so that the sidecar is completely off the ground Mm. and what you're basically doing there is holding the bike off to one side while you're standing up on it and shifting your weight in such a way that everything's balanced in a very precarious way it's like driving a car on two wheels which Mm -hmm. some stunt guys can do. The trouble with this is that you lose a lot of the stability that riding a motorcycle vertically gives you. Right. You're also riding on the edges of the tires. I mean, I'll never forget in Driver's Ed, because I'm the kind of neurotic person who remembers everything from Driver's Ed, that like blood on the highway thing, where they basically showed you, it was like they took a car and they put it on like a clear, like a see-through floor, and they wet it. So you could actually see how much of the car is in contact with the road at all times. And it's only like a six inch square mm-hmm. amount. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. And you think of like a car, you think it's so solid, but you realize only that much of the tires are touching the road at any one time. So now put that on terms of like a motorcycle. And so now you've got, all right, well, the tires themselves have the tread in the center. So you've got some good traction. But now you're on the sides of those tires precariously balanced nope nope if there's one advantage that a motorcycle has it's the fact that its tires are usually rounded on the bottom so that while you don't necessarily get 
that big fat footprint that you get with a car tire mm-hmm. where it's rounded as you go from side to side. You keep the same amount of rubber on the road. Yeah. It's there just, isn't like a tipping point. Yeah. The main thing you've got to worry about is like gravel and grass clippings and road salt and sand and dead animals. And, you know, all those things that can take your tire and just kind of let it whoop, right out of the way. It's mm-hmm. a good thing none of those things are found in the middle of the Australian wasteland. I know, right? <laughs> Just I think road home. salt might be the only thing you don't find in the outback. <laughs> That's arguably true. Probably. <laughs> so Iron Bar has caught on to the fact that this guy is coming up behind him to try and catch him. And he's shouting to him, come on now, let's go. And it's not in the subtitles. But I was able to catch as I was watching this back and forth. The guy on the motorcycle shouts out, I'm sorry. Oh no. As he is forced to swerve out of the way. Aww. So he's very apologetic. He's a nice guy, I assume. He just happens to be on the wrong side of history. They have some sort of emotional connection, at least. Yeah, he's considerate. If he's not a nice person, he's at least a considerate, not nice person. (laughs) (laughs) He's able to course correct, though, and get back to the train. And we hear another bit of additional dialogue that's not attributed. And he shouts, this time, now. And he's positioned right underneath Iron Bar. Unfortunately, that's the exact moment before we get a close-up of the motorcycle rider, and his eyes don't bug, but you get the sense that like he's tensing, and he's... He sees something. He sees something right ahead, and the motorcycle hits the concrete edge mm. of a bridge. The rider flies over the handlebars and mm. down into this gully, and suddenly Iron Bar is hanging out in even more open air than he was hanging before. So last night... <laughs> I uh, hung out with a couple of folks and I watched The Fall, the movie directed by Tarsem Singh, if you guys are familiar. Same guy who did The Cell. Oh, gosh. So it's really, it's a beautiful movie. It took multiple years in like dozens of locations because they just travel around the world to the most striking places to go film this. And it's a movie that introduced me to Lee Pace as well, but that's another story entirely. If I can ask yeah. a quick question, is yes. this the one where it's the soldier telling the story to the little girl? Uh, not a soldier. Uh, more fitting to this topic, he's a stuntman in like silent film. Okay, okay, uh, that's okay, what now it was. I know what movie we're and he fell about. doing a stunt off a bridge, and he's in a hospital, exactly. telling the story to, to the, the most girl. adorable okay. little Russian girl you will ever ever listen to. Absolutely, just so adorable. So like watching this again, I'm like, it's like I'm watching the fall all over again because like <laughs> you know at some points they feature clips from silent movies where like did ridiculous stunts then like stunt performers today do ridiculous stunts still dangerous they still get injured and occasionally killed it is terrifying but at least now there are there are standards and practices that are at least put in some safeguards for them back then you watch some of these things like no that person was actually in front of a train that person was actually dangling like this kind of thing i'm like "Mm, this is gonna end in like a little old-timey hospital and then someone's gonna tell a whimsical story and the costumes are gonna be by eiko ishioka that's what's gonna happen right (laughs) now right it's gonna end happily right Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, this is terrifying. All I keep thinking is that poor Iron Bar is on the literal worst episode of Fear Factor that they ever... They ever did. Anyone <laughs> ever watch that TV show? It was, no. It was I don't a, hate myself that much. It was a stupid human trick television show where they would get people to do stuntman things. You're like, these things are perfectly safe. And I'm like, yeah, sure there are. But they had one where it was, you had to jump from, I think it was like one car of a moving train to another car of a moving train. What? And all I could think of was that as I'm, you know, kind of watching it. Just imagine like my internal sort of monologue is like, you see like the movie, but then over and the thing is like, there's junior high and there's like liquid nitrogen on your hands. And then over here is the episode of Fear Factor that Iron Bar does not want to be on. But <laughs> here we are. And then his ride. I sat there secretly hoping there was going to be a Wilhelm scream. Yes, I was waiting mm. for it. Just for a little bit of levity. <laughs> I was like, I realized this is one minute of film. but This is like the most tense minute of film. Oh, it was... No Wilhelm, though. No Wilhelm, but we do get this excellent expression from Ironbar, who is sort of swung around to look behind him, and he always has this expression on his face to be like, well, great, what now? (laughs) There goes my ride. Sat here and waited for that Uber to show up, and he just took off without me. You had one job. Zero stars. (laughs) And he turns around... And his bad situation has gotten worse because as the train is rocketing along, suddenly there are hand railings and platforms attached to the side of the bridge and he must avoid them. It's like a video game. Oh, God, yeah. Speaking of the bridge, real quick, did the bridge seem remarkably modern and (laughs) well-kept? 
to anybody else. I hadn't even thought about it. It's in perfect condition. Hmm. That's some solid infrastructure because... Yeah. If it's been like 20 years since the collapse of No one's been maintaining it. Maybe it's just because it's out in the middle of the dry desert, there's no one to harass it. There's no rain to erode it. Yeah. It does look like it's concrete. So if there's no rain, I think water is the biggest enemy of concrete. Yes, I would say so. Because it makes the cracks bigger and makes it crumble. Salt, yes. Humidity. No winter. So none of that. Okay. But you're right. It is a very clean bridge. I just wanted to know what it went over. Like, there's a bridge, but why is there a bridge? Because it's, it's just like it's a, a big gully. drop. Yeah. Big, Another crack in the earth. I mean, you don't want to have to climb down and climb. You need to go around. That's what bridges are for. You put a bridge there. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Could you explain bridges to me a little? Well, a little see, a bridge better. is a construction uh, <laughs> that goes over a thing. I know. I just thought it was interesting because it's like, it seemed to me like the whole area was like completely flat to begin with and there wasn't mm. any sort of geography. And I was like, is that like an irrigation ditch? Was there is there a dry riverbed there? What's going on with this bridge? It was probably a dry riverbed. Okay. I mean, granted, any sort of change in elevation would cause. Is it a train? A... You need it to exactly. You, in, in train must go. Train must go. Yes. You're going along, building up those little embankments, putting the train tracks on. You get a particularly big ditch ahead of you, and you're like, oh, well, I guess we're building a bridge because yeah. we don't want to have to worry about the logistics of allowing a train to turn and there's no way for a train to do switchbacks it's not how trains work not quite so tightly no (laughs) but maybe if if prior to the gully they had just made a little bit of an embankment they could have had like a sweet like dukes of hazard (laughs) train jump (laughs) to go over a nice pause in between no i think i think just my brain was like this is all too stressful let's focus on something else why is the bridge there (laughs) (laughs) i am interested in how far down the bottom of the gully is. Mm. Is it a small 10-foot drop that really is kind of no big deal? Or Mm. are we talking 30 feet, 50 feet? What is the survivability of falling into that gully? Which apparently, as we're going to see, it's probably more like the 10 feet because Iron Bar turns out just fine. Whatever's at the bottom of this gully, it's not dangerous enough to kill the unkillable man <laughs> <laughs> yeah because oh now that, see now that you got me thinking about this bridge in this gully in a movie when i see like there is a bridge there's a chase on the bridge and there's people falling if they're falling my brain has trained me through movies to assume that there is like water at the bottom and they're gonna fall into that water it's either that or mm-hmm. a gigantic drop that is unsurvivable. It's one or the other. You're either going to, it's either Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom and you're falling down, you're never coming back, or you're going to fall into some water and then you, get, you can just swim out and get dredged up. Julia, back in Road Warrior, do you remember if we saw any bridges? Because I don't think we did. Oh, in Road Warrior. I was thinking to myself, what was the last time we saw a bridge? And obviously there's a bridge at the end of the first movie where Max right. blows past all the acolytes turns around and then chickens them and they go off either side of the bridge into water specifically Mm. and i don't think there is a single bridge that we see in the road warrior because where they were filming it it was just all flat roads and things like that so you could very well look at this situation be like oh well the last time we saw a bridge there was water at the bottom of it Mm -hmm. so why not here but is there water here? Because resources are scarce. Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea that maybe there was water, but as people migrated as far away from places where mm. like bombs would have been dropped to more desolate sort of you know regions, that you would have fewer bridges. Yeah. Not just because nobody lives there or haven't lived there. As you can tell, my understanding of Australian geography... <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to point out I went to an American public high school where they made us do pull-ups. <laughs> no, they didn't make hang. us do. Yeah, the yeah, flex, flex arm. Yeah, no, we didn't have to do pull-ups. <laughs> yeah, I'm willing to bet this is dry riverbed. There was mm-hmm. a river at one point. Climate, maybe it's the time of year. River's not currently there, so there's probably just a bunch of small bushes and short trees and things like that for him oh. to fall on. Desert scrub. Yeah, I it didn't even occur to me. Like just a picture of him falling, just. Whoosh. In a little bushes. Yeah, like a pratfall from a sitcom or something like that. Then he ends up in a little hospital and he starts telling the story of Max to a little Russian girl. <laughs> no, no. Broken arm. His movie starts out with him like upside down in this shrub in this gully. It's like, I bet you're wondering how I found him. <laughs> I would love to see a movie like a remake of Thunderdome from Iron Bar's perspective, but Iron Bar is played by Chris Hemsworth. Whoa. 
Yeah. <laughs> How high would that mask above his head be, though? I know, right? About 20 feet. <laughs> You've seen the behind-the-scenes photos from those Avengers movies where you have the mocap guy doing Hulk, and it's very much an iron bar situation. <laughs> Just a giant foam Hulk head above a regular person. That would be Chris Hemsworth's Kabuki mask. Just a giant foam Hulk. <laughs> I, I gotta be a pedant though it's not a kabuki mask it is a no mask really it's a different kind of japanese theater we've been calling it kabuki the entire time because we did not dig into it that much that's fair well so, so what's the difference so kabuki oh god okay all right our history major let me tap into my memory here i believe no came first it is uh, an older much more serious tradition it is a very slow paced sort of storytelling that involves these kind of like this is a much more standard mask. I think there are very few mask types in no theater, if there are any variations at all. And the joke that I've heard from people who are either Japanese or in with Japanese culture, are like people go to no plays to fall asleep because they are just very long, very slow paced, very traditional. Kabuki nowadays is also very traditional, but at the time was much more groundbreaking. It was much more of a people pleaser because there was a lot more noise, a lot more expression a lot of funny faces and the masks are like varied and have, you know, they're like different demon masks and stuff like that, that are all very like, you know, you'd recognize them if you saw them, like they're very contorted and they're very, they're super expressive. And then like, there's a lot more action going on. There's a lot more so that people don't get bored and people, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a noisier experience compared to no, which is just very slow, occasional hitting of chimes people are sort of crawling across the stage. Hmm. So is like the difference between like what we would say is big L literature versus genre? Yeah. The other comparison my brain keeps wanting to make is no less pretentious. It's like in Greek theater, Aeschylus versus Euripides, where Aeschylus was very stolid, kind of rigid in comparison to Euripides, which was like the Tarantino Greek theater and everything mm. was bloody and everyone was screaming, you know, screaming deaths. <laughs> so I guess maybe Tarantino would be a better comparison. Instead of using a rip at Euripides. Great job, Liz. I do remember reading something about no theater at one point. It was it's a really cool strange story about a no actress who ended up marrying a guy from Latin America. I don't know really? how that happened. I don't know how. I forget her maiden name. Her first name was Wei. And I guess when she tried to introduce no theater to America, it didn't work out because all the posters said, no way, Jose. Oh. Crying out loud. Oh. Oh, he's so proud of himself. And I was, I was, I was in that. Oh, mm -mm, mm -mm. should have known better. Mm -mm. Should nope. have known better. Nope. Hang him from a bar over the ravine. Mm -hmm. Yes, nope. I agree. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> you get your choice of cold bar or hot bar. <laughs> Very cold. Very hot. <laughs> Moving off of just stuff that I make up and just try and sound as authoritative as I can. I actually took a look at this shot here of Iron Bar going across this bridge with all of these hand railings, and I was trying to figure out just how long this bridge is, because he's on it yeah. for a long time. So I like looked on the map. How many seconds are we looking at? We are around second 34, uh -huh. between 34 and 41. So how long is he? Oh, jeez. Uh -huh. Yeah, he's he's on that bridge for a good long while, and yeah. they're going at a at a good clip. At a, a good clip, really good clip. I hadn't even. This is legitimately like <laughs> a train leaves Chicago, traveling forty miles an hour. <laughs> I hadn't even considered the. So Please continue. I'm going to read right from my notes because it is a giant block of text that I wrote down a while ago. Mm. So I found a particularly long bridge about two hours south of Cooper PD, which is where they filmed all of these scenes along the railroad tracks and used the Google Maps distance measure feature to find that the support posts Ooh. for simple bridges are about 11 meters apart. Oh. We can see in these wider shots that not every support has a handrailing platform at the top, but they seem to be placed every other support. Assuming that there are 22 meters between each handrailing, that gives us a measurable distance. Now we just need to find the time it takes to travel between each railing, which works out to about 3 seconds. So 22 meters per 3 seconds simplifies to 7.33 meters per second, which works out to a whopping 16 miles per hour or 25 kilometers per hour, which looks a lot faster when you're hanging from a pipe and the whole thing is shot at a low angle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how you showed your work. Did I make up for the no theater joke? No. 
Oh, I mean, okay. you're about, you, you bro- <laughs> broke even. You broke even. Okay. I'm trying to parse the math here and, and picture it. 11 meters is not very long, especially when you're like flinging the full length of your body up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, seriously. This is some straight up CrossFit type stuff. That actor is just, and, and I mean, you, I'm watching it and I'm like, there are no wires. This is all him. There's no CG. That's not okay. Is it Iron Bar himself? Is it the actor or is this a stunt performer? No, this is the actor. This is the actor. Angry Anderson. That's right. The best well, name ever. That's right. First name is technically Gary, but if, when your choices are Gary or Angry and you're a rock star, go with Angry. I mean, that's a hell of a stunt to pull. Yeah. It's very impressive. Because like, what happens when you miss a kick and you screw up a take and then here comes the support? That's not fun. That's we, not fun. Take we did the rest it once. of the day off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, you know. How hard could that hit, you know, really feel like after gripping a liquid nitrogen cooled bar? Maybe that's why they did it, just a numbing agent. <laughs> <laughs> he's stuck to the bar now, like Flick from Christmas oh, Story. Oh, no. Just, he's not going anywhere. Oh, yeah, it's probably good that, I mean, oh, man, if his hands were even the slightest <laughs> bit sweaty, he really would have frozen. Oh, frozen yeah. Oh, my gosh, this gets more and more uncomfortable. <laughs> Just when I think this minute couldn't be more uncomfortable, it gets more uncomfortable. At long last, though, we do see that Iron Bar has cleared all of the hurdles. There are Olympic judges somewhere clicking the stopwatches and giving their judges because, you know, <laughs> this might as well be a track and field event. 8.5, 7.8, 9.5. And Iron Bar takes, breathes a sigh of relief because he thinks that he's safe. Wrong, because you're never safe in the wasteland. And he hears something <laughs> off to his side, and he looks back, and there is Mr. Skyfish, who has a hacksaw. I don't know where he got this hacksaw. Don't, don't <laughs> never ask a question you don't want the answer to. Good point. Did we see a hacksaw at all in Road Warrior? You're asking the hard questions today. <laughs> because the last time I remember seeing a hacksaw was back in the first movie where Max had Johnny the boy shackled to that truck and he handed him a hacksaw telling him how long it would take to saw through the high tensile steel in the handcuffs. Right oh, next wow. to a bridge. I don't believe we saw a hacksaw in the second movie. It's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> That's just, you know, not often that poetry involves hacksaws. Yeah. I noticed something about this pipe. So Sawfish starts sawing at second 43 and 11 frames. The pipe collapses under Iron Bar's weight at 47 seconds, 3 frames. That tells me that this pipe was going to give out on its own eventually. This tiny bit of sawing, this 4 seconds of a child using a hacksaw on a pipe, was not enough time... <laughs> or enough muscle to be able to saw through the entirety of that pipe and have it break off. So when it just bends and lets go, I'm pretty sure he just sheared off that top edge enough that the rest of the pipe just gave way and shore itself off. Either that or that was literally the kid's only job back in the colony was to, like, hacksaw things. Like, we don't know. <laughs> that could have been his one, like, extra contribution to the society. Yeah, yeah. it's like, just momentously monstrous upper body strength. We always assumed he was the kite guy, but kites are a hobby. <laughs> They're not always a job. Do you think that society that was subsistence living had time for hobbies? Maybe. There are a lot of hours in a day. <laughs> maybe the kite thing came uh, as a side effect of his experience, you know, using the hacksaw on on little bars like that and just he was like eventually he cut all enough bars he's like what am i gonna do with this well i guess i can make a kite out of it yeah that's true i think really the alternative to all of that is when you are that good with a hacksaw and you want to fly a kite who is gonna tell you no <laughs> right that's a very good point i would like to imagine mr skyfish his job was to cut scrap metal away from the crashed 747 so he had a hacksaw to cut away the metal bits, and because he spent all of his day around the crash plane, he'd be like, oh, I'm interested in flight. I'm going to be the kite guy. Is it, is it Bernoulli? Bernoulli's principle? The how wings are shaped to give them lift? Oh, yeah. Like the shape of a wing. So if he spends all yeah, the I, mean, I like it. I like it. I'm, I'm yeah. headcanon accepted. Yeah. I'm still thinking about the presence of a hacksaw, not necessarily in this moment, because I'm sure it was on the train. It's a tool. It's a useful tool. Yeah. But back in the crack in the earth with the waiting ones, why would they have a hacksaw? Why would there be a hacksaw on that plane? Because there weren't yet regulations saying you couldn't take hacksaws on the plane. There's a pre-9-11 world. In a post-9-11 apocalypse, 
you go to the airport and you can find all of those pen knives and nail clippers and mm. bottles with liquids that are over three ounces. <laughs> a treasure trove. Oh my God. And like one bottle of champagne from a very unfortunate person who forgot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, but wait, you can take certain sporting goods like the, that are TSA allowable on as a carry-on. Like you can take like a harpoon gun really? or something like that. There's something rid- similarly ridiculous, like something long and pointy that you shouldn't be able to take, but it's a sporting item. As a carry-on? Yeah, something like yeah, really. Would yeah. you really want that in the cargo hole? No, I mean, just in case something that's going to pierce the fuselage of the plane. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, even on accident, I'm more worried about someone tripping and falling into the side of the plane with the thing and sticking it through than actual terrorism. Mm, well, I guess that would be something to, to determine at the X-ray stage and whether or not it's safely packaged. Yeah. When yeah. You, when you get on the flight and realize your seatmate is Captain Ahab. <laughs> it's just just get off the plane. Right. Oh, I mean, no. they, they let you bring knitting needles on on planes. I've traveled internationally with metal needle metal with metal knitting needles. Don't you sass me? <laughs> I'm just I'm just clarifying what you said. You got to be careful with knitting needles. You never know if the old lady next to you is going to knit an afghan. Oh, now that's an old joke. Oh, <laughs> I've actually I've taken chainmail pliers on with me. Oh, really. Yeah, See, like a chain nose. Have you made chain mail while in flight? Yeah. Have you really? Yeah. What, what did the person sitting next to you say to that? Nothing. They're mi- they minded their own business. They probably- yeah, because you were making chain mail. <laughs> I mean, like, I was probably working with, you know, if I'm going on a flight, I think I was probably, I, I assume I took aluminum with me because I prefer to travel as light as possible anyway. And I'm not going to take my sack full of stainless steel rings or my bronze ones for that matter. I probably took a little bit of bronze though because it's really pretty. But... I had like my aluminum with me, and I had my little my littler chain nose pliers, the pointy ones. And uh, yeah, I brought down my trade table. I probably tried to put something on there to keep them from rolling off. And it's nice anything. when people on a plane mind their own business, because the last thing you want is to pull out all your chain mail gear and have the guy next to you be like, oh, I guess you're not planning on getting stabbed anytime soon. And That's you- only effective against a splashing attack. And you'd be like, shut up, oh you know it all. Oh my god. No, and then you say, have you seen Captain Ahab? He's three rows up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would look at someone, if I sat down in a plane and the person next to me was making chain mail, I'd be like, what do you know that I don't? <laughs> <laughs> because I was prepared to put my mask on first, and I am prepared to look for any exits, the closest one maybe being behind me. Yeah. I am not prepared for, like, jousting or, you know. You don't know what that person knows. Like, they might be an air marshal. Air marshals, they need all kinds of equipment. Yeah, but yeah. I want to know if, like, someone's going to Jason Statham on the plane that I'm in. I want uneventful air travel. Or, consider it this way. You sit next to someone who's making armor. Mm-hmm. Just stick with them. <laughs> no, because then I'm the one in the red shirt. <laughs> Clearly, they're the important character. <laughs> like, mm-mm, I'm the comic relief. I'd die right about now. I'm just gonna... Gosh. I'm gonna go. Well, just next time, pack your hacksaw. Speaking of dying, <laughs> Iron Bar drops from the pipe that he is holding onto, and thus... He dies for a fifth time. (laughs) Just to recap for everybody. Number one was being thrown from the penthouse. Number two was being bludgeoned by a feed chute. Number three was being drowned in feces. Number four was being exploded in the train chase, which makes falling from the train bridge his fifth death. Supposedly. We'll see. We'll see. Ostensibly. He's still alive. Come on. We all know it. I mean, just almost drowning in pig feces would be enough to... Like, I quit. (laughs) You're like, you know what? What time is it? Is it five o'clock? I'm just going to go watch my soaps. I have my stories. (laughs) The stories are just, you know, a bunch of like poor sods from somewhere else in the city that have to stand behind like a hollowed out TV frame. Mm -hmm. Act out scenes for him. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And really, Iron Bar dropping off this train is more or less the last threat to Max and the others because the train rolls along the tracks. It's speeding along. None of the other vehicles have gotten past the gully. So it's just them out on the rails and Max has the time to climb along the side of the train and check and see how everybody's doing. And he discovers that, uh, speaking of Ahab, there's a harpoon sticking out the side of this door. Dart in your neck. TSA, you failed us again. Yeah, Pink Killer is looking very pale. And it's not because he's been working the last few years of in his life in a subterranean pig farm. Oh, oh. Yeah, that is, that is no way to go through life, son. 
the, the harpoon in your side going through. And it goes through the door and, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, those car doors are not the armor that you think they are. No. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. No, 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 no. It's like a tank. Every yeah. car I'm in is like a tank. Oh, I will okay. be forever prepared and protected. You sit in the car, you're safe from lightning. You're safe, I don't know, marauding bandits? Apparently not if they have a harpoon gun. We'll talk about the distinct <laughs> qualities of car doors on Wednesday's Minutes because we have reached the end of today. Oh. Karen, Liz, is there any place on the internet you would like people to check out if they wanted to hear more from you? Well, I think at the moment, the yeah. best place to find the both of us is on Twitter. Yes, this is true. We are on the Twitters. So we, we, we tweet. So if you're interested in the... Comedic and political stylings of uh, of me, I can be found at uh, older than Latvia, which is spelled exactly as it sounds. <laughs> because it's true. It's really true. I am. I'm kind of ancient. And I'm at Hollywood Fat Cat. And of course, for those people that are interested in going back in time, you've got old episodes of the Foxes and Henhouse podcast. This is Correct. true. Where's that? Um, that is a fair question. We are at SoundCloud.com slash Henhouse. Nope, slash Foxes in the Henhouse. Right. I yes, it was Hen House Foxes. No, not the. This is just why look for I Foxes in the Hen. No, wait, no, this is difficult. Oh, I was no. never trusted with the credits at the, the end of an episode. In a long I know. Time. Listen, just find us. We're on Facebook. Like it's on Facebook still yep. at facebook.com/slash Hen House Foxes. Mm-hmm. The Twitter account is still there, yep. even if it's quiet. Mm-hmm. And that's at Hen House Foxes. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. What did I used to? Good, good, how did we used to do this? Good story. <laughs> how did we do this? <laughs> we we all chose one thing, and it's then true. that's all any of us had to do. I think was I was our the one Facebook, thing. right? Yeah, that's it. So if you didn't already go back and check out those when you heard Caitlin, Karen, and Liz on season two, now that you've heard Karen and Liz again, and you have the time, go do it. You're done listening to us for the day. You can listen to whatever you want. Go for it. Be free. As for us, we will be coming back on Wednesday. Max is going to do something about that nasty harpoon. Things will come to a grinding halt when Savannah sees an obstruction in the road, and we get to see just the most adorable holdup in the history of train robbery. I found it very serious. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Ire by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 91 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time